Week one is in the books. The games were played, which means we know everything. And we also don't know anything. Let's get into it. Hey, it was BYOG. Bring your own guts. Fourth and five, the national championship on the line. Got the big man. I think Notre Dame got it on the everybody. Well, I am very excited. It was an incredible week one, as week ones usually are, but this one was uniquely special because it was really the first true week one in two years. You know, last year at this time, no games were being played. The season started late, and then we had, you know, the COVID year, which as I've explained, it didn't really count. It just wasn't the same. So to have televisions come on on Saturday, well, really Thursday night, um, and then have college game day in the morning live with fans, have all these great games live with fans. Like I said last week, even small games that you maybe wouldn't have normally paid attention to, but just to see players on the fields in front of full stadiums of rabid college football fans was amazing to see. And sorry if my voice... Sounds a little hoarse this morning. I am still recovering from going to a game myself. I went and saw my Knowles take on Notre Dame. And wow, what an atmosphere. What a great game. I'll talk about that later. But I was doing some yelling and some screaming. And my throat's a little sore from that. So still recovering. It was a long, long weekend for me watching games all day Saturday. Driving up to Tallahassee from my home in Sarasota, Florida on Sunday morning. And then driving back really late after the game, I was originally going to start recording this last night when the Ole Miss-Louisville game concluded, but I could barely keep my eyes open through that game, not just because the game was kind of boring, but because I was so tired. And now I'm up, it's about 8 in the morning, and I'm recording the show today, Tuesday morning. And we can now have a full recap of what happened in week one. And of course, we're going to mostly talk Big picture stuff. Before I get into that, a couple announcements. One, shout out to Shane Gibbs, the winner of my ticket giveaway from last week. For those that weren't aware, there was a ticket giveaway where you could subscribe to the podcast, follow me on Twitter for a chance to enter. And if you still want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Michael underscore K87. But a social media you might be more interested in is the Instagram page that I started. It's not a personal page. It's not for the show. It's a college football curator page. It's called College Football Classics. I have a giant archive of old games that I have edited, and I'm getting like small one-minute versions of those out on Instagram. For anyone that loves the history of the sport like me, All sorts of old game highlights are going up on there. It's only been six days since I started the page. We already have 430 followers, so join that if you're interested in that. Anyway, now let's get into what we just experienced week one and kind of what the big picture is overall. Now, it was a super exciting week one. All sorts of matchups, all sorts of games that you typically see. I loved seeing the mixture between... The kickoff classic games, the matchups between big teams playing each other, the smaller level games, and the conference games, right? Like we had North Carolina and Virginia Tech play. That's a division ACC game that was played on Friday night to really kick things off. We had Minnesota-Ohio State playing on Thursday night, and that was a great game, right? That was a Big Ten matchup. We had Penn State and Wisconsin play each other on Saturday, another Big Ten conference matchup. So we got right into conference play in a lot of these games, which you don't typically see in week one. That was exciting, but we still got our slate of neutral site kickoff games, right? Alabama-Miami in 
Atlanta. We had Georgia and Clemson and Charlotte. Last night, again, you had Ole Miss and Louisville playing in Atlanta also. And then you had some really cool home non-conference games. Probably my favorite was LSU going out to UCLA, LSU's first trip to the Rose Bowl. That was really cool to see. I love the home-and-home non-conference games. It's probably my favorite part of the sport in the early parts of the season. I would like to see more of those games being played instead of you know, the neutral site games. It would have been cool to see Miami go to Tuscaloosa or to have Alabama, you know, go to Miami, vice versa, things like that. But as we get into it, let's just go in order, right? You know, the first big game was on Thursday, Ohio State, Minnesota. The game was a lot better than people expected. Minnesota looked confident. They looked a lot more like the 2019 team that went 11-2 and as opposed to what we saw last year. Right? A lot of teams in the Big Ten last year just struggled. We're talking Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Penn State. They all looked pretty bad and pretty inconsistent last year. And a lot of us were wondering, was that reality? Was that just the COVID situation? In Minnesota's case, definitely looks like that was the COVID situation. They looked a lot better. Unfortunately, their star running back is out for the season. That really sucked. He ran really hard in that Ohio State game. He looked really, really good. And Ohio State also looked really good, but they started off a little slow, right? Breaking in a brand new quarterback who's never been a game on the road in a conference matchup against a hostile environment. It's not weird or surprising that he started off a little slow, right? And that gave Minnesota a chance to get in the game early, right? Rallying behind their crowd, which is another thing nobody could do last year, right? So that was nice. And, you know, they they took the lead, and they weren't able to fight off Ohio State once Ohio State really got going. You know, those receivers are lethal. But Ohio State was beatable that night because of that slow start. Now, going forward, you expect Ohio State to start looking more like Alabama did because their offense is clicking, and as C.J. Stroud, their quarterback, you know, plays more games, gets more experience, He's going to start looking more and more like your typical elite starting quarterback. And he basically did once the second half started of that game and Ohio State took the lead. So who knows? Maybe this is a game that if it's played three weeks from now, Ohio State dominates Minnesota. Or you could say the same thing on the other end. Maybe Minnesota is really good and they're only going to continue to get better. So we don't know those things. And that's the thing I want to stress the most about week one is we're going to have some hot takes here. Right? And we're going to, oh my gosh, what's going on in the ACC with these losses? Oh my gosh, is the Pac-12 in shambles? Oh my gosh, is Alabama another world beater? Who's going to beat them? We need to talk about those things, and there's truth to those. But always remember, week one never gives us the big picture. Anything can happen in this sport on a week-to-week basis throughout an entire season. And it's important to not drastically overreact to the things that happen in week one. That being said, though, let's talk about big picture. Now, if Alabama wasn't a team this year and you looked at all the other teams ranked in the top five, top 10, top 25, even non-ranked teams, it looks like we're shaping up for a really exciting season, right? If Georgia and Clemson were, let's say, your top two teams with Ohio State, of course they looked really good. Well, Clemson didn't look that good, obviously, but Georgia didn't look phenomenal That was a defensive battle they played against Clemson, and both those teams are really, really good, and it's the first game in the season, so both of those offenses could really come along later in the year, but right now, if you're either of those teams, even Georgia with the victory, you're really concerned about your offense, and yeah, you're hoping that it was just phenomenal defensive play. It's that first game where offenses can be rusty. Georgia was missing a couple skill position guys, and that really hurt them. JT Daniels wasn't able to be the quarterback that we, you know, were hoping he was going to be. And this Georgia team looked a lot like a typical Kirby Smart team of the ground and pound and play really good defense. Now it worked for them in this game. But that offense is going to have to improve if they want to win out or finish 11-1 and and make it to the SEC championship game with a chance to beat a team like Alabama, right? So you got Georgia and Clemson. I, a lot of people are really worried about Clemson. I'm not too worried yet Right? If this was a week two, week three game and Clemson's offense looked like that, I'd be a lot more concerned. But given the fact that Clemson is still by far the best team in their conference and going to be heavily favored in all the rest of their games, 
I think they're going to get the offense figured out. And they're probably not going to be challenged, at least you know, talent-wise, roster-wise, like what they just saw in Georgia. So you got those two really good teams. You're worried some, but they're really good teams. You know, Ohio State looks like one of the best teams in the country. They had those struggles early on. They're in the Big Ten. The Big Ten can be a grind. So do we have confidence that Ohio State's going to fly undefeated through their schedule? Not necessarily. I expect them to be favored in all their games, but we don't know, right? Oklahoma had a really tough game against Tulane. It looked like they were going to pull ahead and be dominant early on, but Tulane sneaks back in the game. Now, Tulane is better than a lot of people think, but I was really impressed with Tulane given the fact that this was supposed to be a Tulane home game, and Tulane had to last minute because of Hurricane Ida go to Oklahoma, and they gave the Sooners a run for their money. Now, Oklahoma's probably going to be good, but as a top-five team, you're a little worried about them. Are they this dominant force that's going to run through the Big 12 without a chance of ever getting upset? No, they don't look like that team right now. And even in all the years past, Oklahoma's always found a way to drop a random Big 12 game that they weren't supposed to win. So, you got them. And, you know, North Carolina, top-10 team loses. Now, it was a conference game against a Virginia Tech team that played really well, right? Notre Dame, number nine. I was actually more impressed with Notre Dame, even though they kept this game closer than most expected because their offense looked explosive. I still think Notre Dame is going to be able to run the ball like we all thought, although they couldn't in this game. I think that was actually Florida State's defense surprising all of us and playing above what we thought they could. But Jack Cohen made some great throws. Looks like Notre Dame does have some wide receivers and they've got a great tight end. So while Notre Dame looks like, you know, typical Notre Dame, of course they're going to have chances to get beat. They also don't look like a world beater, but they're out there and they look decent. So the whole landscape is super exciting, right? You're thinking, okay, there's a handful of top ranked teams. They struggled. There were some lower ranked teams that performed really well on the come up. Who's going to make the playoff this year? It's crazy. Who could win the championship? It's going to be an amazing season. But the reality is, is that Alabama still exists. And they were the one team that looked like they were in mid to late season form, playing what we think is a quality opponent in Miami on a neutral site game. They just absolutely dominated from the first snap. They were also breaking in a brand new quarterback like Ohio State. Not to the same level. I mean, he had played in some games last year, but first real game as a starter. They lost all of that production on offense. 73 touchdowns from last year's team are gone. And even though it was all brand new offensive skill guys, some of which we've never even seen or heard of before, they look like they are the same team from last year. New players, new numbers, new offensive coordinator, same exact Alabama football team. Absolutely dominant. And guys, I'll be honest, I don't think there was a single team that Alabama wouldn't have blown out in week one. Not a single team. I think had they had played Clemson, Georgia, even Ohio State, they would have ran through that game with no problems, right? If Clemson and Georgia's offenses played the way they did on Saturday. Alabama steamboats them because Alabama's defense also played to a Georgia and Clemson level. They just scored a bunch of points also, right? Yeah, maybe Ohio State gets a lot better as their quarterback settles in and they'll be great too. But in that week one, given what we saw, Alabama would have been up 28 to nothing on Ohio State. Right? Minnesota was able to take advantage of Ohio State's early you know, struggles a little bit. And I think that just means Alabama would have dominated everyone they played. The way Oklahoma looked, they would have got absolutely dominated because all the other teams look like normal college football teams, even though they might be great. It's completely normal to see what we saw out of Ohio State. You're a loaded roster, but you're breaking a new quarterback. You're not going to go out in your first ever series Score a touchdown, then score again, and score again, okay? So somehow Alabama is able to do what all these other teams can't do, right? Other teams reload. Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma as of late. These other teams, they, they reload. Alabama reloads 
but the difference is Nick Saban and the program that he's built. And he's such a good man at the top that it doesn't matter how many new offensive and defensive coordinators and staff come into this program. And it doesn't matter what type of players he's reloading with. They're all going to look like the same Alabama football players we're so used to seeing. Alabama is on another level than everybody else. And from a big picture standpoint, it's kind of annoying, right? Because we're sitting here like, wow, like I said, this week one, this season looks wide open for teams. But then Alabama plays and you're like, okay, well, nobody's even close to that. So now you're like, can some of these other teams get to that level? And I think, yeah, throughout the season, we'll see that. But I mean, Alabama's not going to get worse. They don't really do that outside of, you know, maybe injuries or something. So we really are looking at a situation as of week one, as of week one, where it's Alabama and everybody else. Based on what we saw in week one, there's a significant difference between Alabama, number one, and then whoever you want to put at number two, whether it's Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson, maybe you still have them in there. Whoever it is, that next five to ten teams might all be very close with each other. None of them are on Alabama's level. I'll repeat this again. I don't think there's a single team that Alabama wouldn't have blown out in week one. That's where we stand right now. And that's why I'm not being too hard on Miami, because I really think if Miami was opening up with any other top five, top 10 team in a kickoff game, not saying they would have won. I don't think Miami beats Georgia, beats Ohio State, Oklahoma even. Clemson, maybe with how bad their offense looked, but they would have played a, a little bit better of a football game, I think, against those teams. Because I think the other top 5, 10 teams would have looked a lot more like Miami did if they were playing Alabama. So Miami is still in trouble. Like, I'm not trying to say that everything's fine there. I don't care who you're playing or how great Nick Saban is in the Alabama dynasty. That's no excuse, right? Like, you're a Miami team that's coming to the season ranked in the top 15. You got to show up in that game and play a little bit better. But again, it's just the reality of the situation right now with Alabama football and especially in kickoff games where Nick Saban thrives, right? I've talked about it before. Alabama, these kickoff games, they always dominate. Sometimes they start slow, which they did not this time, but you, you never really get the win over them. Most of the time you get blown out. And I don't know why anybody, I'm not about running away from competition, but I don't know why any team, any team would agree to play Alabama in an opening game. Like at least do a week two. If I'm scheduling Alabama in the future, I'm the only thing I'm agreeing to is a home and home. And I want it to be in week two, right? I want that warm up game against Mercer before I play Alabama. I do not want to go play Alabama on a neutral site week one and be another one of these victims because it, it has shown to derail seasons before, right? 2017 Florida State, a top three team going into that game, maybe a little overrated based on what we saw the rest of that year. But after that game, Florida State played it close, but they lost their starting quarterback and that kind of derailed their whole season. And they ended up being like a seven and five team. You know, they keep their quarterback healthy. They open up with a normal opponent. They might go 9-3 and three that year. Who knows? Maybe Jimbo Fisher never even leaves. So, and there's other examples of this just derailing teams' seasons. So hopefully that doesn't happen to Miami. But it's a really big problem for your confidence when you consider yourself a top 15 team and you go get beat the way most teams beat their FCS opponents on week one. You were essentially Alabama's opening FCS opponent. That's what it looked like. So Miami needs to get their head in the game and play strong. And like I said last week, it's tough for Miami because they're in a situation where this really could derail their season because now they're going and playing an Appalachian State team that's defense, that's decent. And they're going into that game with zero confidence, most likely, after what just happened to them. They have to bounce back. Then they play a Big Ten Michigan State team that looks okay again this year. Miami could start 0-3, and I would blame all of it on the opening game against Alabama. And now it's going to take good coaching for Manny Diaz to get them through these next two games. 
I'll be very impressed, actually, if Miami can win these next two games, especially if they win them handily. That will show me that Mike Manny Diaz is coaching well. Because you can't expect him to beat Alabama, although you'd like him to be playing better. This is where the real coaching comes in, right? Can you handle the loss and get your team back on track? Because if Miami drops even one of these next two games, I guarantee you that affects the entire outcome of their season. They're definitely out of the playoff if that happens. I mean, you might say they already are, but they're definitely out of the playoff. They still would technically be alive for the ACC, but starting off 1-2 and two or 0-3, oh you're going to see players on that team quit. And now we have what was a preseason top 15 team falling to like maybe a 6-6 six and six level team. So these things can happen. Now, let me keep it in the ACC since we're talking about Miami because a lot of people are saying the ACC is in big trouble. It was a terrible week for the ACC. And that is true on some level, but not necessarily in the way that people are saying. So let's break down what happened. Now, it's important to point out that when everyone talks about conference supremacy and like, is this conference in trouble? Is this one? They're always looking at it through a college football playoff lens, right? The only thing these guys on ESPN care about when they're talking about this conference better than that conference is, do they have a team alive for the playoff? And obviously that's kind of important, mostly from a revenue standpoint, you want representation in the playoff. It's going to bring home more money. It's going to make your brand look good on the biggest stage, having representation in that playoff. But in reality, the way sports work, when you're measuring how good are these group of teams compared to these group of teams, is just how good the teams are top to bottom, right? If you had a conference that had a bunch of 9-3 and and 8-4 and football teams, and you compare that to a conference that maybe had one amazing team that went to the playoff, or even maybe two, but then the rest of the teams in that particular conference were super mediocre or borderline terrible, I would take the conference with all the eight and four teams. That would be a better conference. How deep is your conference? That's the real question, right? The SEC is the best conference. It's not because they have an Alabama or maybe another team like a Georgia that looks like they could make the playoff. It's because once you get under those teams, you've got like usually like a couple nine and three teams, a couple eight and four teams, and even their six and six teams, a lot of times you feel like can go and dominate Pac-12 six and six teams, ACC six and six teams. That's why the SEC is considered the best most of the time. It's not because of what's happening on the top. It's more about what isn't happening in the middle and the bottom, right? So when we bring this back to the ACC, for me, it's not a problem that Miami lost to Alabama, okay? Again, yes, you'd like them to be more competitive, but the second or third best team in the ACC, at least on paper right now, this could change. Maybe I'll, maybe Miami's terrible. But going into the season, the ACC had three teams that had playoff hopes, right? Oh, Clemson, number three. North Carolina, number 10. Miami, number 14, and all three of those teams lost. That's the main reason why ESPN, these analysts are saying the ACC is in big trouble, right? Where I think it's for other reasons and other matchups, right? I don't care that Miami lost to Alabama because I think anybody would have lost to Alabama, right? Clemson losing to Georgia isn't that big of a deal. Forget the fact that you're concerned about Clemson's offense, Right, Just from the standpoint of losing a close game to another top five team, that's not so bad for the ACC, right? Like When you're talking about games that could have gone either way, Clemson went and played a top five team. It happened to be an SEC team, could have been Ohio State, could have been anyone who was ranked high, right? Could have been Oklahoma, whoever, and they dropped that game, okay? Forget how the game looked for a second. That's not a big deal, Okay. That's a quality loss. The whole point of scheduling those big games is that if you lose, it's a quality loss, right? And if Clemson turns it around, gets their offense back on track, runs through the ACC at 11-1, plays in the ACC championship game, and wins it at 12-1, there's like a 90% chance they go to the college football playoff once again. So Clemson as a team is on trouble. Them losing to Georgia isn't a disaster for the ACC, right? Miami losing to Alabama is also not a disaster for the ACC. North Carolina, Virginia Tech is also the exact opposite of a disaster for the ACC. 
in the sense of their playoff hopes, it hurts because you thought North Carolina was one of those teams that maybe could be that raked opponent that meets Clemson in the ACC championship game. And you're hoping for a 10-2 and two type of season out of them, which is still completely possible, guys. They could turn it around. But they lost a conference game. Virginia Tech looked good in this game. So is it a bad loss for the ACC or is it a good win for the ACC because an ACC team won that game? Yes, from the playoff picture, you're like, oh no, one of our ranked teams went down, but maybe Virginia Tech's the best team in this division. We don't know. We don't know. Here's where the ACC was trouble. Also, the the Florida State-Notre Dame game. If anything, that looked better for the ACC because we expected Florida State to lose that game. But Florida State played way better than we thought they did. And Notre Dame, it wasn't because they looked like they were worse than we thought, you know, because I talked about this on my on the Instagram page. I up, One of the games I uploaded yesterday was that 2016 Texas-Notre Dame game, which was also on a Sunday night. And when that game was played, you had a top 10 Notre Dame team playing a Texas team that was trying to, you know, get back in the big picture. Texas wins the game in overtime. It's super epic. And, of course, you heard the famous, Texas is back. And it turned out that that was a fluke, right? Both of those teams ended up being terrible. Maybe that's the same case here for the for Notre Dame and Florida State, right? But I think Notre Dame is still pretty good, and it was more of Florida State playing up to Notre Dame's level than it was maybe Notre Dame took a huge step backwards and played down to a bad Florida State team's level. But only time will tell. Only time will tell. Considering that Notre Dame might still be really good if Notre Dame is a top 10 team. This was actually a good game for the ACC because instead of getting blown out and showing that one of the Atlantic blue bloods in Florida State is still down, it showed that maybe Florida State's going to actually compete for the division this year, which would be incredible, not just for me as a Florida State fan, but I think for the ACC, for everyone in the sport that wants to see conferences elevate right and try to maybe catch the sec here that that is important right but anyway let's talk about more what was actually damaging for the acc what really hurt the acc was georgia tech losing to northern illinois duke losing to charlotte guys and i actually think the worst thing that happened to the acc all weekend was what happened last night in louisville losing to ole miss that is a perfect game to determine where conferences are because you had a middle-tier ACC team going up against a middle-tier SEC team, and they pretty much got ran off the field. That is way more concerning to me than Miami getting blown out by Bama or Clemson losing to Georgia because, like I said, the Clemson-Georgia, it was a close game. So, yeah, wins matter, losses matter, but at the end of the day, that just showed that two of the best teams in these conferences are both good. Miami lost to Alabama. That showed that there is a big gap between the top of the SEC and the rest of the top of the ACC, but I think anyone would have lost pretty bad to Bama, so you can live with it. But having one of your middle-tier teams get pretty much ran off the field by a middle-tier SEC team, an SEC team that didn't even have their head coach on the sideline, that is problematic, right? So... To me, that is more of an example showing that the ACC might not be as strong and be in trouble because you got to go win those games, right? Louisville beating Ole Miss shows that, hey, we have that big non-conference win. We're coming into conference play with a decent-looking win in our resume. And then if we lose conference games, it doesn't matter as much because now we're beating up on each other. But when we played outside of the conference, we showed that we're legit. Louisville's not going to be able to say that this year, right? And... Georgia Tech, that was also a terrible one. Georgia Tech, they're supposed to be getting better. They're supposed to be recruiting better. And then they go drop this game to Northern Illinois. Yeah, you expect Georgia Tech to maybe lose to North Carolina, Miami, Virginia Tech this year. But can you at least come into conference play undefeated considering you don't have any big non-conference games you're playing? I mean, if Georgia Tech would have went and lost to a quality opponent, right? If they would have lost to the Ole Miss, if they would have lost to, you know, some Big Ten school or something, okay, not great, but you live with it. But dropping games in Northern Illinois, Duke losing to Charlotte, like that is the problem. Now, the ACC is going to have some chance for redemption. 
NC State, right, they dominated their non-conference opponent, which was South Florida, right? Not some FCS school, an okay group of five school from the American. They dominated them. And they're going to go play Mississippi State. This game, I think, is huge for the ACC this next week because you have a middle-of-the-pack, again, ACC team playing a middle-of-the-pack, sort of, maybe more of a bottom, SEC team. If Mississippi State beats NC State, even if it's close, that would be probably the worst loss for the ACC so far. You also have a pit team that looks decent, who they won their opening game. Yeah, it was against UMass, who's absolutely terrible, but they beat them 51-7. to And now they're going to be playing Tennessee. This is another example of a middle-tier team playing a middle-tier tier team. And I think if the ACC can win both of these games, if NC State beats Mississippi State, and if Pitt can go win at Tennessee, that is going to be major redemption for the ACC going forward, right? Now, they if that does happen, they won't get credit for it in the national picture because nobody thinks those two teams are, are playoff caliber so, and th this is the problem with the whole SEC dominance narrative, although it's true, SEC is the best, let's not take that away from them at all. If the SEC drops, let's say, these next two games, right, or if Louisville would have won last night, you wouldn't have heard much about it. It wouldn't have been like, oh, you know, ACC team beats SEC team. They just would have been like, oh, this sucks for Ole Miss, right? If Pitt beats Tennessee next week, and if NC State beats Mississippi State next week, no credit will be given the ACC, and more importantly, no one's going to talk about that being bad for the SEC because they'll just be like, well, Georgia and Alabama look really good and can maybe make the playoff, and so is Texas A&M, right? How about LSU, right? No, we're done with ACC, so let's let's move out to, you know, SEC big picture. LSU went over to UCLA and got boat raced by a Pac-12 team that wasn't even ranked. This is another conference that people are talking about is in shambles, and I really don't understand why or where that's coming from. And, and I'm talking about the Pac-12. Now, the Pac-12 North is kind of in shambles. I, I'm not too worried about Oregon keeping it close against Fresno. Fresno was a decent team. Also, Fresno State had already played a game. I talked last week about how important that is. If you've already played a game and your opponent hasn't played a game, I think that's a huge advantage. I would never want to play a team in week one if that team had already played a game. I guarantee you Miami scores three more touchdowns against Alabama. They probably still lose, but if they had played some warm-up game in week zero before Alabama, that would make a difference, right? If Minnesota would have played a game before that Ohio State game, they probably win that game. So I think that's huge. I think that's why UCLA came into the LSU game with so much experience and so much confidence, right? They got that warm-up game against Hawaii. A Hawaii team who's not good, but Hawaii did dominate their FCS opponent, you know, on Saturday. They crushed, I think it was Portland State. So Hawaii's not, you know, Connecticut, <laughs> but they're not good, obviously. But UCLA dominated them. Then they went into the LSU game prepared, and they looked really good. I'll get to UCLA in a second. Keep it in the north. The reason the North is in shambles is not necessarily because of Oregon, although that wasn't a good look for them keeping that game close, right? But Oregon's going to have a chance this upcoming week. They're going to Ohio State. If they win that game, no one cares about Fresno, and they're probably the favorite to win the Pac-12 and probably even one of the favorites to make the college football playoff if that happens. The reason the North is in shambles is because Cal lost to, I think it was Nevada. That's not good. Right? You're a Power 5 conference team. you got to go beat Nevada. Okay, Oregon State lost to Purdue. More respectable loss because it's a Big Ten team. Again, this is one of those mid-tier examples. Oregon State, kind of one of the bottom feeders of the Pac-12 North as of late. They're playing a lower level but still decent Big Ten school. That's the game that you got to go win to show that your conference has depth. Oregon State loses this game. Stanford, this is another example. They went and played a Big 12 team that's kind of top middle of the pack, right, in Kansas State, and they didn't look good at all. Kansas State looked way better than them. Stanford's offense was pretty abysmal. Defense looks okay, but they it didn't look like they were even going to threaten to score any points in this game. So 
a bad non-conference loss for Stanford. The worst loss came for Washington, who lost to Montana, an FCS school. Now, granted, Montana's a decent football program. Uh, my sister actually went to University of Montana for about a year. And as far as atmosphere-wise, you go to Montana, it's like going to any big college football atmosphere. They love their football team out there, and they usually pack their stadium, and it's a lower level of football, but it, it's fun football, and there's pageantry there. But anyway, this was a terrible loss for Washington because it's a FCS upset, and Washington was one of the five ranked teams in the Pac-12 and probably the only team in the North that looked like they would be able to challenge Oregon. So that's a devastating loss for the Pac-12, agreed, right, on that one. And then Washington State lost to, I think it was Utah State. So that's not good at all. Everybody in the Pac-12 North lost except for Oregon, and Oregon didn't play very well against their group of five opponent in Fresno State. So I get why some people are saying the Pac-12 is in shambles, but I also don't get it because look at the South. The South was awesome. The only team in the South that lost was Arizona. And they lost to BYU, who is, a, is an independent, I guess you could say they're kind of group of five level, but BYU was pretty good last year. And they lost that game 24 to 16. Okay, whatever. If that's the only loss of your division for the Pac-12 South, not bad. Utah won. They won pretty handily. They're ranked. Yeah, it wasn't a good opponent, but they won. USC won, and I think people are looking at this game like, oh, USC doesn't look that good. But San Jose State was a good team. San Jose State won their conference last year. San Jose State was not a good matchup for USC when you just looked across the board. So I don't give USC any negative credit for winning this game. They did end up even covering, right? A, a lot of people in the betting world were talking like, you know, maybe this is a game you pick San Jose State to cover. USC was a 14-point favorite. And for much of the game, they were only up by about like 13 points. But they pulled away at the end, and, and they looked pretty good, right? Colorado got a win, <laughs> you know? They beat, who was it, some some FCS team, I don't know. But they won 35-7, to seven, so that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're a Power 5 football team, you go play an FCS team, you're supposed to win big. So that was good for them. Also, Colorado's playing Texas A&M next week. That's a cool matchup, just helmets-wise, uniforms-wise. You expect A&M to go in there and, and win handily, but as a college football fan, it's going to be cool to see those two teams on the, on the field together. Kind of an old... Big 12 game that we used to get more often, right? So that, that's going to be fun to see, um, just on another note. But also in the South, right, Arizona State, another one of the five ranked Pac-12 teams coming into week one. They played, I don't know who the team was. I forget now, but it was an FCS game also. And they dominated 41-14, to 14, what you're supposed to do. And then you got UCLA. UCLA, which wasn't one of the five ranked Pac-12 teams. I think they will be now. They beat LSU and they looked good doing it. Now, here's the thing. LSU could be bad again because honestly, I said earlier, I don't know why LSU came into this season a top 16 team when they were pretty bad last year. I think that was one of those situations where you just look at talent and you look at their roster and you're like, they have to be good, right? Well, no. Now, on paper, LSU did have a lot better roster than UCLA. Pretty significantly, actually. But UCLA, they looked like they were playing SEC football against LSU. Maybe not offensively scheme-wise, but I'm talking about physical. The offensive line for UCLA opened up holes, and their running backs ran hard and broke tackles, right? The defense played really well. They got pressure on LSU's quarterback, who, by the way, is the son of former Florida State and Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, Brad Johnson. So that, that, that was kind of cool. I'm a Buck fan, so I know all about that 2002 Tampa Bay team. And Brad Johnson is probably, he was a good quarterback, but he's probably one of the worst quarterbacks to win a Super Bowl. Um, Tampa mostly leaned on their excellent defense that year. But anyway, Brad Johnson's awesome. He's a cool guy. And his son, uh, Max Johnson, I believe, for LSU, he looks good, but he was getting pressured by this UCLA team. 
And the more important thing is it looked like UCLA outcoached LSU. Because again, LSU has better athletes. The defensive players for LSU are big time recruits. A lot of those players were wanted by Alabama, were wanted by Clemson, were wanted by Georgia. It's LSU, they got dudes, they always got dudes. Yet UCLA and Chip Kelly was able to look, you know, like the Chip Kelly of old and scheme guys open. You combine that with the fact that he had linemen and running backs running really hard and playing really physical and this game wasn't really even as close as the score was sometime. UCLA, outside of maybe the opening couple series, they were in control of the game. And LSU was playing on their heels most of the game. But it seems like nobody's going to really talk about this being a bad loss for the SEC. And, and I don't think they should because I don't think it's a bad loss. I think the better team and better coach team won this game. But it is an impressive win for the Pac-12, right? In years past, you would have expected LSU to go dominate a game like this. And I think LSU still has a chance to be okay this year. I don't, you know, I don't think it's that they're really bad. I think UCLA just took a huge leap forward. And that means the Pac-12 is taking a leap forward. Yeah, it was really bad that Washington lost, but can you imagine if Washington had done what they were supposed to do? You would have six ranked Pac-12 teams going into this week because none of the other ranked Pac-12 teams lost besides Washington. And UCLA definitely should be ranked after what they just did to LSU. So you would have six ranked Pac-12 teams, and now Washington is going to play Michigan. Now, after what Washington just did, you're thinking they're probably not that good, but we have seen teams lose these FCS games and you're like, that's really weird. And then do bounce back. So don't completely count Washington out yet. But obviously, I'm expecting Michigan to win that game now based on what I saw. But can you imagine if Washington goes and wins? First of all, it's a really cool matchup. It's something you'd expect to see in the Rose Bowl. We've seen it in a couple of Rose Bowls, obviously, historically. But Washington and Michigan, those are just cool helmets to see on the same field. I really wish Washington had won their game just because I would love to see this game have more hype. You know, Michigan might be ranked now coming in to this week based on what they did. And speaking of Michigan, they looked really good. They looked like they finally found a quarterback. And it looks like they finally have a, a threat throwing the ball. Unfortunately, their best receiver, um, Bell, Looks like he's out for the season. That got announced last night. That really sucks for Michigan because you would like to see a Michigan team that can throw the ball compete in the Big Ten. And hopefully the loss of this stud wide receiver doesn't affect them too much. We'll just have to wait and see. But it, it does suck for us that this matchup between Washington and Michigan isn't going to have two ranked teams playing each other, especially when Michigan went out and did their part. You know, they beat Western Michigan pretty bad who's not FCS, yeah, they're, they're low-tier group of five, but they did what they were supposed to do. They dominated them. And unfortunately, Washington doesn't live up to what they're supposed to do. Their offense looked terrible. I think they lost that Montana game. It was like 13-7. to seven. You can only score seven points against an FCS team. That does not look good. So I do not expect Washington to go on the road now and play even a good game against Michigan, but we'll just have to wait and see. I'm still excited to see that game. I'm going to watch it, obviously. And it's one of two monster games for the Pac-12 this upcoming week in Week 2. Obviously, the main one, Ohio State going to Oregon. That's going to be a really big game, really exciting. That's also going to be cool to see. You know, or we, We've seen this matchup in the Rose Bowl before, and the 2009 season ended with Ohio State and Oregon meeting in the Rose Bowl. That was also a great game. But it's cool to see these home non-conference games, right? Oregon going to the horseshoe and playing there. I, I was so devastated that we didn't get Ohio State going to Eugene last year. Um, as I've said before, I'm actually from Oregon. And although Florida State's my main team and I went to Florida State for a few years, I ended up graduating from University of Oregon. And I grew up, you know, being around Duck fans my whole life. And it's been really cool to see how the University of Oregon program has become a football power in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And I was very much looking forward to going to both of these Oregon games last year against Ohio State in Eugene and then this year in Columbus. I won't be going to the Columbus game this year. After last year, my whole schedule kind of got changed and 
I'm actually working next weekend in Oregon, surprisingly, so I won't be able to attend this game, but I'm very much looking forward to it. And then, yeah, you got the Washington-Michigan factor, so that's going to be a big game. Don't expect Washington to win, but exciting to see these two chances for the Pac-12 to really show what they're made of, right? If Oregon beats Ohio State, you will have a top-level Pac-12 team that looks like they're on par now with anyone else in the top five, right? Because Ohio State looks really good. If Oregon wins this game, especially based on what they have coming after that with a weak North division and the fact that they don't play USC and some of these scary teams in the South, they're going to look like the team to beat in the Pac-12. They also would give themselves that mulligan game where they could lose, they could get upset by somebody in the Pac-12, still go to their conference championship game with one loss. If they win, 90% chance, probably 95% chance, they would make the playoff in that instance. Now, I don't know if I'm expecting Oregon to win this game. I did not see enough from their quarterback play. But again, it was a weird matchup with Fresno State being a decent team that had already played. You know Oregon doesn't want to show that much on tape going into this Ohio State game. I think they were just trying to survive. Kayvon Thibodeau, this is another scary thing. He got hurt in this game. He's probably the best defensive lineman in the country. And I, I don't know, I'm hoping he walked out the field under his own power and looked to be okay, but then he came out in a boot. I'm hoping that Oregon is just playing it safe and he's going to be good to go against Ohio State because that would be a devastating blow if they lose him. But anyway, if Oregon can win that game, that would be huge for the Pac-12 considering what the middle tier and all these South teams are doing because then you're going to have a clear team that has a pass to the playoff. You would have teams in the South that have a path to the playoff considering they haven't lost yet, right? USC has athletes still. They have a chance to get through their division and get through their schedule with maybe only one loss possibly, right? The biggest game they play is Notre Dame. That's going to be challenging, but they have the athletes to play in that game. UCLA looks like a challenger now, but they have the athletes to play in that game too. And you can now say the same about UCLA. UCLA already has a big win over an SEC team, assuming that LSU doesn't completely fall apart, which could happen. But assuming that doesn't happen, this is a big win for UCLA. Either way, regardless of what happens with LSU, it's a giant confidence booster. And UCLA looks well coached and they should play good the rest of the year. I'm really interested in the Pac-12 this year. It's something I haven't been able to say a lot of the more recent years. But from a who can make the playoff standpoint and from a depth standpoint and just who's going to win the mystery of it all. I'm very excited and interested in Pac-12 football this year. Now let's shift over to the Big Ten because I think, once again, the Big Ten might actually be the best conference top to bottom. Now at the top so far, like obviously we got to compare it to the SEC, right? That's the big battle. Now at the top, it looks like they only have at the moment maybe one true playoff contender. I mean, on paper, tons of teams are still live for the playoff. But if you're just looking at what you would predict based on who's good, Ohio State looks great. Yeah, the SEC has probably more like two teams that are on that level, obviously Alabama and then Georgia, right? And then maybe Texas A&M, we'll wait and see. Texas A&M looked pretty good in their opener, a little shaky, but kind of your typical Jimbo Fisher opening game against a weak opponent. I think they played Kent State or something. Florida, maybe we'll see. But as far as what we know right now, SEC has one, probably two big-time playoff contenders, and then it's kind of open. I think you'd say the same about the Big Ten. They only have one for sure big-time playoff contender. That's Ohio State. But this conference is deep, and there were no bad losses for the Big Ten in week one. Their worst loss was, you know, maybe Indiana getting boat raced by Iowa. But again, that was a conference game. So they lost to themselves, right? It was a conference game. Iowa looked really good. Iowa dominated what we thought was going to be a good Indiana team. And Iowa's going to have a great test next week. They get to play the second best Big 12 team. Now, Iowa is probably sitting there as maybe the third or fourth best Big 10 team, we would think right now, maybe. I don't know if you put them ahead of Wisconsin yet or not. All this is yet to be determined. But if they go beat Iowa State, that's a huge game for these interconference, you know, debates because you'd have the second best team in the Big 12 as of right now losing to maybe the third, fourth, fifth best team 
in the Big Ten. Also, that's just always a really fun game to watch. It's a cool rivalry. I love how it's early in the season. So that's a big game next week that I'll be really interested in. And if you look at the other losses in the Big Ten, okay, Wisconsin lost to Penn State. Well, Penn State is a, another really good quality conference opponent. So that doesn't hurt Wisconsin from a, you know, standpoint of looking bad for the Big Ten. That was a really good defensive game, right? If the Clemson-Georgia game was a, oh, a great defensive game and we're not super worried about the offenses, you would have to say the same at Penn State and Wisconsin. The defenses looked really good in this game, and the offenses, although didn't look great because of the defense, they still looked better than Georgia and Clemson's offense looked, right? Penn State was able to make some explosive plays. Wisconsin was able to run the ball, although they weren't able to really finally put a drive together and get a critical touchdown. But I said before the season, I'm high on Penn State this year. I think they're the second best roster in the Big Ten, and if things shake out the right way, if they get good quarterback play, I definitely think they can compete with Ohio State. And if you can compete with Ohio State, you definitely have a chance to make the playoff. So huge win for Penn State going on the road in Madison week one. It's hard to go in in Madison at any point, let alone week one. It was a packed house. It was rowdy. That was a great game. You know, I'm watching that and I'm like, is it, are we in October? Like we're seeing Penn State and Wisconsin play? A Big Ten home game in, in week one, but it was it was awesome. So great win for Penn State and not a bad loss from Wisconsin. I mean, if you're breaking down, are you worried if you're a Wisconsin fan? A little bit because you would have liked to see more offense. Wisconsin cannot just win a conference like the Big Ten or even their own division by just running the ball and trying to make a couple 12-yard play action throws every now and then. They've got to get a little bit more explosive than that. But... As far as what's on the table still, Wisconsin's still alive. Hypothetically, Wisconsin can now run the table, easily make the Big Ten Championship game, win that, make the playoffs. So completely alive, and it wasn't a bad loss. Go to Minnesota, another team that lost, but if anything, that just made them look better and the Big Ten look better because they lost to Ohio State, but it was way closer than people thought. And they are probably going to contend for their division once again. So the Big Ten is deep here, right? There's no shame in losing to Ohio State, especially when you kept it as close as they did. And they shot themselves in the foot a couple times. If, if uh, Minnesota doesn't have a really bad turnover that leads to a score, and if they could tighten up that defensive pass coverage just a little bit, they probably win that Ohio State game. So they're looking good, right? Like I said, Purdue goes out and beats Oregon State. No one cares about Purdue. We're not expecting them to really compete for the conference or even really their division, but they did go beat a middle to low-level tier team from another Power 5 conference. That's good for your conference. One of the biggest wins, I think, for the Big Ten was actually Maryland beating West Virginia. You had a middle-tier Big Ten team going and beating a middle-tier Big 12 team. So the Big Ten, to me, is looking really good. Michigan State looks like they might be okay again. So the Big Ten East is looking good. You've got Ohio State and Penn State. They look really good, especially Ohio State. Michigan State looks okay. Maryland got the big win. And then you had Michigan finally look like a power blue blood team should look in an opening game. You can't take too much from these week one opening games, as I've continued to say, but Michigan dominated their opponent. Yeah, it was just Western Michigan, but they threw the ball, they ran the ball, they played good defense. Yes, Western Michigan's probably terrible, but they did what they were supposed to do. And now they get to go play a Pac-12 team. Even though that Pac-12 team was a disappointment in week one, we'll see, right? That kind of made up for the fact that, you know, yeah, Indiana lost, they didn't look good at all. We thought maybe they would contend for the East, but even if they end up being bad, it looks like Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State have stepped up to make this division very deep still. Even Rutgers got a win. <laughs> so the only loss in the Big Ten East was by Indiana, and it was to a conference opponent. And then you go to the West, Iowa looked really, really, really good. Wisconsin lost, but to a great team from the other division. So not riding out Wisconsin yet, I still think they're 
completely alive. I mean, they are completely alive for their division. And then Minnesota, yeah, they lost. But again, it was to the best team in the conference and across the division. So that was good. They look like they're going to contend. Obviously, the Big Ten has the issues with Nebraska still. But, I mean, it's not a problem for their conference picture debates because the conference is very deep. I mean, if Nebraska was decent right now, it would be even better for the Big Ten. And they'd hands down be the strongest conference. But I think as of week one, based on what we've seen... I'm taking the Big Ten as the strongest and deepest conference over the SEC. Now, that could all change, right? Because A&M could easily show that they're a top-five-level team that has playoff chances. LSU could bounce back. Florida and teams like Auburn could show that, hey, we're legit. We just don't know because, you know, they didn't play strong opponents. Tennessee could get a win over an ACC team this week and start out 2-0 and before they even get to SEC play, you know? Ole Miss looked pretty good last night. Their defense looked vastly improved from last year. I mean, very improved. So they're adding some depth to the West, right? They had a quality win over another Power 5 conference opponent that we thought was, you know, maybe more on their level, and they won that game handily. Arkansas is going to have the chance to beat Texas. Arkansas has been pretty bad lately. So the SEC's you know, so live. I'm not taking anything away from them. I'm just saying based on what we've seen so far, the Big Ten has proven more. But that's just because they've had the opportunities so far. Three weeks from now, four weeks from now, you know, two months from now, that could all change. The SEC is going to have its opportunities. We're going to see how good these teams are, right? But as of right now, I think the Big Ten is in the best shape as far as these conference debates, right? And I'm basing that on quality of overall play in the conference. Even if the Big Ten maybe only has one team that could make the playoff in Ohio State, and the SEC has two or maybe three. I think I, at least personally, consider a conference to be better than another conference based on overall depth in the conference. And the SEC and Big Ten are right there with each other, but I would give the nod to the Big Ten today as it stands. All right, well, there's so much we could get into that's pretty much where I'm going to wrap it up. I just want to say, remember, it was week one. It's fun to overreact, but at the end of the day, we still don't know anything. I guarantee you there are teams from this week one that we think look really good that are going to end up not being good. There's also teams that lost in week one that are going to make comebacks and be better than we think they're going to be. And that's the fun of it all. It's the mystery. We don't know who's going to do what yet, right? I'm really interested in Florida State and Notre Dame going forward. Is Florida State on the right track coming back? Are they going to go from maybe a 5-6 to win team to like an 8-win team, even though they have a crazy hard schedule? Maybe. Is Mike Norvell going to get them back on track? Maybe. Or is Notre Dame actually not that good and we're going to see a big fall off between what happened to them last year and this year? Maybe. Or maybe Notre Dame's another playoff type of team. We don't know. All these teams have opportunities to get back on track. The main question is, is is anybody going to get on Alabama's level? Is Alabama beatable? Was Miami just terrible and we're overreacting to the, the win that Alabama got? I don't think so. And we just get to let all this unfold and see how it plays out. So that's all I have for this week. I'm going to try to maybe get another small episode out before we get into action this week. These next three weeks are going to be difficult for me. I'm wrapping up some of my jobs. I I do video production, and I'm working for IndyCar this season, which has been awesome. I've been at every IndyCar race since um, April. It's been awesome. But I've got three races in a row these upcoming weekends, which sucks because I won't be able to watch all the football games live. But don't worry. I'll be DVR and stuff. I'll be streaming stuff. I'll be able to catch up on everything. But it will be hard for me to get more than one show out um, per week the next few weeks, although I am going to try my best. But that being said, um, like I said, follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore K87. If you like old college football games, check out the new Instagram page that I've got going. College football classics, all one word. Um, and you can email the show at let's talk college football at gmail.com. Love to hear from you guys. Any questions? Let's talk college football. That's what this whole show's about. So let's talk about things. Let's get into it. And I'll see you guys next time.